people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Welcome, patriots, white nationalists, Christian identity, all those who love the truth and aren't afraid to face the perfidious Jew and expose the perfidious Jew for what it really is, the synagogue of Satan. And today, I just want to, well, it's going to be a two-part show today, although the subjects are interrelated. Number one is the fact that today, November 11th, is the annual Gog and Magog parade in the city of London staged by the House of Rothschild. Now, why would the House of Rothschild honor Gog and Magog if they are not Gog and Magog? We know that they are. Listeners to your folk radio have had this understanding for a long, long time that the Jews are, in fact, Gog and Magog. All right. Good evening to everybody in the Eurofolk Radio chat. And uh, I just, just recently, just tonight, just tonight have uh, reestablished contact with Telegram. I had to uh, scratch the old version that I had because it was just so messed up I couldn't get it working right. So from now on, it's going to be the new Eurofolk Radio program. And uh, you know, I'll put links in uh, after today's show and uh, I'll, I'll publicize it on Eurofolk Radio as well. So, but nevertheless, I see Daryl is in there. And uh, so, uh, good evening, Daryl, and good evening, JT, and uh, Brother Abear, etc., etc. So let's get to it. Well, the other subject tonight we're going to cover tonight is we have, we have definitely, we have definitely uncovered the real reason for Netanyahu and the perfidious ones attack on the poor Palestinians of Gaza. We hinted at it a couple of times already, or at least I suspected it, uh, namely that uh, there was a plan to cut a canal through Gaza. And you won't believe, you simply will not believe the report we have for you today on that. But since today is the anniversary of Gog and Magog in the city of London, you know, the, the central banking center of the universe, Rothschild headquarters. This is why they have these two wicker statues and they parade them every year through the city of London, the banking district. Okay, so uh, let's get to it. And this is... Gog and Magog, the Lord Mayor's Show, dated today, 11-11-2023. Let me get rid of this pop-up that's 
obstructing my view here. Okay, finally. <laughs> okay. And uh, I put the link into the chat room of Your Folk Radio, but you can uh, get London forward slash history, forward slash Gog and Magog, or just go to London and you, you'll get the skinny on this subject. So the history of the Lord Mayor Show, Gog and Magog. Towards the end of the procession, you may see two stern but benevolent wicker giants. Oh, benevolent? Really? Gog and Magog are benevolent giants? By the way, I had a talk with a friend of mine here in Harrison about Tartaria recently, and it's becoming clearer and clearer to me that Tartaria is the name of that Eurasia. Eurasia before the flood, before Noah's flood. Because as we know, there were giants on the earth in those days. And there's tremendous evidence of a great civilization with gigantic megalithic structures in Eurasia called Tartaria. And even in Spain, uh, Tarano, Spain, has megalithic structures. You never hear anything about these megalithic structures because, number one, the perfidious Jews don't want you to know real history, and the fable of evolution demands that you not talk about giants (laughs) and pretend there were no giants in those days. So, in my opinion, Gog and Magog actually go before Noah's flood. But uh, their namesake was kept by the Khazarians, the Khazarian Jews. And Magog is actually a, uh, a giant, probably a giant, but can also be a descendant of Japheth, who may have married into these uh, Gog and Magog people. Uh, I haven't looked into that. That's certainly a possibility. Anyway, the two benevolent so-called Wicker giants. I don't think so, folks. They are Gog and Magog, the traditional guardians of the city of London. And by by who? Since when? When was this tradition started? And by whom? It certainly wasn't started by our ancestors, the Angles and the Saxons, or the other tribes that descended upon London in prehistoric times prehistoric for the purposes of uh, modern scholarship in biblical times, Old Testament times, because we know our people migrated toward the British Isles, including Iceland and Ireland, etc., and essentially founded those civilizations. Those are people who founded those civilizations. But it's also the case that they found prehistoric peoples, both Midgets called pixies and giants that they had to do battle with when taking over the the British Isles. So I think this is the true source of the story of the the pagan entities that uh, our ancestors had to fight against when they took over the British Isles. So let's continue. So anyway... The traditional guardians of the city of London, and they have been carried in the Lord Mayor's show since the reign of Henry the 
fifth. Well, I guess the Jews have been <laughs> in, uh, in England since the reign of Henry V. Okay. The matter of Britain. Gog and Magog, or sometimes Gog Magog and Corinius, are descended from the mythical pagan giants. No, they're not mythical. And their origins lie in medieval legends of the early British kings. Well, probably because the early British kings had to do battle against them. The story goes that Diocletian, the Roman emperor, had 33 wicked daughters. <laughs> oh, no, no, now this is myth. I think it was only 22. He managed to find 33 husbands to curb their unruly ways. How many of those husbands were poisoned? But the daughters were not pleased, and under the leadership of their eldest sister, Alba, they plotted to cut the throats of their husbands as they slept. Now, this is, of course, this is mythology. But let's continue. For this crime, they were set adrift in a boat with half a year's rations, and after a long and dreadful journey, they arrived at a great island that came to be named Albion. Albion means white. After the eldest. Here they stayed, and with the assistance of demons, they populated the wild, windswept islands with a race of giants. Of course, this would have occurred before Noah's flood. I'm pretty insistent that this is a pre-Noah's flood legend. Okay? It's kind of like the legend of Atlantis with the... Uh, What's the ten pairs of twins, Atlas and his brothers? Okay. Sometime later, Brutus, who was an Israelite descended from Zerah Judah, an Israelite descended from Zerah Judah, so it's very clear from the, the order of this legend that these giants were there in Britain first. And then Brutus, the Israelite, descended from Zerah-Judah. And Zerah-Judah crossed the Mediterranean Sea during the Israelite captivity in Egypt. The, the Judahites and some Danites and other tribes, the Gadites in addition, fled Egypt, made their way across the Mediterranean to Spain, Ireland, and Iceland. In those days, okay, also to Gaul. So they would have encountered these giants in the British Isles and, and, and Central Europe for sure as well. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, Brutus, the great-grandson of Aeneas, fled the fall of Troy and by way of various scrapes arrived at the same islands. He too named them for himself, so we also know them as Britain. With him, but Brit, British actually means covenant man. The name Britain comes from our Israelite ancestry as God's covenant people, the British. With him, he brought his most able warrior and champion, Corinius, who faced the leader of the giant brood in a single combat and eventually hurled them from a high rock to his death. The, the name of the giant was Gog Magog. And the rock from which he was thrown became known as Langnog, or let me hold, this is a new one on me, Langnagog, Langnagog, or the Giant's Leap. As a reward, Corinius was given the western part of the island, which <coughs> excuse me, came to be called Cornwall, after him. 
Very interesting. So Cornwall is named after Corinius. Brutus traveled to the east and founded the city of New Troy, <coughs> which we now lo- know as London. Excuse me. Got something in my throat. The full story can be found in Geoffrey of Monmouth's 12th century Historia Regum Britanniae. A largely fanciful but hugely influential, it may not be as fanciful as these people are claiming, history that connects Celtic royalty to the heroic world of the Greek myth by way of the old Welsh legend of King Arthur. No, King Arthur was a real person. There there were actually two King Arthurs. And they were both descendants of David and Judah. The alert reader will have noticed that the fall of Troy was about 2,300 years before the reign of Diocletian, and that the name Gog Magog is a mangled borrowing from the Old Testament. But these histories were accepted as fact for centuries and would have real importance to the medieval participants in the mayor's procession. So, in other words, yeah, the Rothschilds are trying to diss the biblical connection to these things because they don't want you to know that your ancestors did away with these giants. It was Israel versus the giants, even in the British Isles. Next heading is giants. It is common enough for people to regard the original inhabitants of their lands as giants. They were real giants, folks. The memory of early struggles for land or survival is preserved in mythology, and heroes become giants in the popular mind. They probably were large and powerful men, and their physical strength and stature become exaggerated as their deeds pass into legend. No, there's no exaggeration in this case. Our pagan giants were not ugly or huge. Yes, they were. <laughs> they are the elaborated folk memory of great men inhabiting the lost age of might and simplicity. Well, there's nothing simple. You know, remember Genesis 6. The fallen ones came down. They bypassed their first estate and mated with Adamic women and produced giants. That's what it says. I'm just going to read one more paragraph here. Effigies. The custom of carrying effigies and images at festivals is sometimes explained as an echo of the days when the same festival would have revolved around human sacrifice. The victim was replaced with a symbolic representation, and as the old rites were incorporated into the church, the sacrificial effigy became the saint who had made the sacrifice. Well, that has nothing to do with the Rothschilds because they're Jews. <laughs> whatever whatever church traditions there are don't apply to Jews. Whatever one thinks of this theory, so they're just giving a whitewashed theory of who Gog and Magog are. And we know Gog and Magog are the Jews. They are the Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews. Whatever one thinks of this theory, the custom of carrying effigies at festivals was widespread in the Middle Ages, both in England and on the continent, and the giants of myth were among them. No, the giants of history were among them. The tall figures that you will see on the day of the Lord Mayor's show are just the latest in a long line of pagan effigies that go back at least a thousand years. But the question is, why would the Rothschilds have a parade in honor of Gog and Magog, 
the two evil entities of the Hebrew Bible. Why would they do that? The Jews are supposed to be God's chosen. Why would they honor the enemies of Israel? Okay, that's because they are not. (laughs) They are not God's chosen people. And they are, in fact, the enemies of Israel. Okay, now I'm going to switch to prepareforachange.net and the Argog and Megog running the Khazarian Mafia. Now we're getting somewhere here, folks. Now we're getting somewhere because we know that the Jews are the Khazarian Mafia. No doubt about that. So let's continue here. They definitely are the Khazarian Mafia. Article provided by PFC subscriber Emil, E-M-I-L. In different religious texts, Gog and Magog are depicted as evil forces located at the end of times. There are also real, real forces in the days of Israel who will initiate conflicts and wars while causing massive destruction on earth. The Judaic and Christian scriptures, however, do not describe Gog and Magog in detail, and therefore in such unclarity there are struggles in interpreting and discussing this matter. Well, the one thing is for sure, Gog and Magog are the enemies of true Israel. That's clear in both Ezekiel and Revelation. It is Islamic eschatology, though, which sheds light on this subject for us to have a better perception regarding these great corruptors in the land, while having addressed Gog and Magog adequately as they make a major sign of the last day. So, Islamic tradition and biblical tradition both assign Gog and Magog major power in the last days. Unlike several apocalyptic figures in Islam, which are mainly described broadly in the Hadith literature, collections of narrations from the Prophet Muhammad, Gog and Magog happen to be mentioned in the Quran primarily, and their mentioning is always associated with various hints that encourage the effort of deciphering the divine language, contemplating and reflecting unto a more profound comprehension of the scriptures. The verses of the Quran first introduce the the nature, characteristics, and conduct of the two tribes and further enable us to locate Gog and Magog geographically. When the expenditure of a mighty ruler mentioned in the Quran as Dual Karnayan, and that's D-H-U-L-Q-A-R-N-A-Y-N, Dual Karnayan is addressed. According to this narrative, mighty Dual Karnan, wait, what was the name of the uh, the one uh, in the uh, in the previous article? Corinius, Corinius, very similar, aren't they? Corinius. All right, we may be getting somewhere here. All right, and uh, travel. <sighs> Sorry, pop-ups obscuring my screen. Okay, let's continue. 
The verses of the Quran first introduce the nature, characteristics, and conduct of the two tribes and further enable us to locate Gog and Magog geographically. According to this narrative, mighty Dual Karnan traveled across a mountainous stretch of land between two large bodies of water, one dark in color and the direction of the, in the direction of the setting sun, i.e. the west, and the other in the opposite direction of the rising sun east, where a people approached him, demanding help from the aggression and criminality of Gog and Magog. So Dual Karnan built a barrier to detain the two tribes. Ibn Katir, an early prominent Muslim scholar, theorized on this particular particular Quranic description and identified the Caucasus as a region where Dual Karnan traveled to and found Gog and Magog. Well, of course, you see that Khazaria is right near the Caucasus Mountains. But uh, it was not inhabited by the Khazars until after the Israelites passed through and left it. But later on, the Mongols attacked the Khazars and blended the two populations together. So that's probably what uh, this is actually talking about. And of course, we know that the sea is the Black Sea, which got its name by the ancient Greeks because of its dark appearance. And the Caspian Sea, a hypothesis which can be further be proven reliable from narrations which indicate that Gog and Magog will approach the area of Bait HaMikdash, Temple of Jerusalem, from the north while passing the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Now here we have two really good indications that Gog and Magog are the Khazarians. Also quite noticeable on the map due to the geographical position, these two, and the Sea of Galilee, are located precisely north of the Holy Land. It is this region which we recognize as the first location of Gog and Magog, where the Khazar Empire was established and Khazars became supreme masters of the southern half of Eastern Europe, and where in the 8th century occurred a mass conversion to Judaism. And Jews from this settlement have continuously migrated to all directions, but primarily west, from the time of the Khazar state's breakup to this stage, or this age. And they make most of the population who identify as Jewish in the present day. However, they are not Shemitic like the actual Judahites. The article says actual Jews. Jews are not Shemites. They're Canaanites and Edomites. It was the Khazar ruling class, initially pagans and occultists, who adopted the Talmudic faith and became adherents of Babylonian Talmudism, who gained power while operating shadowy for hundreds of years as they had infiltrated into royal houses, ruling elites, government structures, had hijacked political institutions, organizations, controlling finance and banking, participating in the sophisticatedly structured occult reign that challenges and controls apparently earthly authorities and individuals seemingly in power, while specifically making a firm financial oligarchy and banking cabal, which has been conspiring for centuries while governing in total secrecy. That is a mouthful. That was a long sentence. Now we have a hyphen. 
It is the Khazarian Mafia. Okay. This is exactly what we've been reporting to you listeners for the nine or ten years that New York Folk Radio has been on the air. And, of course, this is basic identity teaching. In Islam, the advent of Gog and Magog is associated with the return of a people of a destroyed city back into it. Now, it's interesting because Bibi, Boo Boo, (laughs) Boo Boo Netanyahu, has actually admitted that Kiev, which is part of ancient, in fact, it was the capital of Khazari at one time, is the true homeland of the Jews living in Palestine. He admitted that that's their true homeland. So, that's, is that why they're killing all of the Ukrainians? I think so. We'll get to the reason why they're killing all the Palestinian residents of Gaza after this article. So it says, the return of a people of a destroyed city back into it. Okay, well, I think it was the Danites... The Vikings, the Viking rulers of Russia, who overthrew the Khazar kingdom, I think that was in 900 AD or thereabouts, and that drove most of these Khazars slowly east, or sorry, slowly west, where they first landed in Poland en masse. They landed in Poland, and to some extent Russia, but primarily Poland where they had refuge for a long time. And it gradually moved west from there. So, the first statement might potentially refer to the city of Jerusalem, which has been besieged, attacked, and captured a dozen times. But of course, the Jews are, the Jews are not Judah, nor are they Israel, so that has nothing to do with this. We're talking about Khazaria. And of course, Jerusalem has been attacked and captured dozens of times, destroyed twice, and ultimately its people were driven out of it. The Jews were driven out of it, but so were uh, true Judah. Actually, true Judah and true Israel, the ten northern tribes, migrated away from the territory, driven away by Yahweh, so that we would fill the prophecies of creating nation-states in Europe, America, Canada, Australia, etc., Okay, Britain, which the Jews have never done. So, so this is, now, it's interesting that, you know, but they returned when the Khazar Rothschild banking cartel founded the state of Israel, making it possible the departure of 600,000 Jews from Europe to Palestine. No, I think that this prophecy is talking about the Jews going back to Khazaria. Because right now, Given what the Jews are doing in Gaza, they're opening opening a can of worms. And you won't believe the report I have for you about that. But let's continue. At the cost of displacing the Arab, Arab natives, as well as murdering and committing countless of atrocities against innocent Palestinians, as well as other Arabs in the invasions and wars waged by the Khazarian Mafia in the neighborhood. Arab countries. But who runs the Khazarian Mafia? Could it not be Gog and Magog? 
Yeah, the Ashkenazi Jews. It is they who have hijacked global institutions. And this KM, Kazarian Mafia, has played the role of the enforcers of their tyrannical agenda, constructing the Israeli-centered world order, with Jerusalem replacing Washington, becoming center stage in the world politically, and hence marking the beginning of Pax Judaica, claiming supremacy over the planet and global totalitarianism. In other words, a new world order, which results in the rule of the one-eyed deceiver, which is, however, only the beginning. Yes, it's going to get worse from here, folks. One more paragraph here. It's a disclaimer. We at Prepare for Change bring you information that is not offered by the mainstream news and therefore may seem controversial. The opinions, views, statements, and or information we present are not necessarily promoted, endorsed, espoused, or agreed to by Prepare for Change, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's just a disclaimer. But nevertheless, this article is right on the money. This is Christian identity understanding of the Rothschilds, the Khazars, and their empire of merchants, folks. This is our understanding exactly. So let's get to... What's going on in Gaza? First, we're going to look at this article entitled, this is from the Insider, or this is the www.businessinsider.com. And the title of this article, this is going to reveal how far back this plan goes. The title itself is explosive, literally. The U.S. had a plan in the 1960s to blast an alternative Suez Canal through Israel, that is Palestine, using 520 nuclear bombs. That's the title, folks. (laughs) Let me repeat the title. The U.S. had a plan, and well, of course, the U.S. meaning the Jews, the American Khazarian Mafia, had a plan in the 1960s to blast an alternative Suez Canal through Israel using 520 nuclear bombs. Now, I wonder if the attack on the USS Liberty may have been part of this plan. That's worth investigating. Anyway, there's a great map here showing the Suez Canal on the left and the swath that was cut through the, uh, well, it doesn't name, the Sea of Reeds, essentially, uh, from the Sea of Reeds northward to the Mediterranean Sea. And then it shows the Israel-Israeli canal plan coming from the northern tip of the Gulf of Aqaba, north through the desert and into and through Gaza to the Mediterranean. Now, my range guesstimation here would be about four or 500 miles difference between the two canals. So there was a plan to create this canal already in the 1960s. And I'll just read some of these bullet points here. A declassified memorandum revealed a 1963 U.S., that is, Jewish plan to create an alternative to the Suez Canal. 
it would have excavated more than 160 miles through Israel's Negev Desert with nuclear bombs. I guess blowing the desert up is quicker than uh, getting bulldozers to do it. A cargo ship is currently stuck in the Suez Canal, blocking the vital shipping route. So this was about a year and a half ago when uh, a ship got stuck in the Suez Canal and held up shipping, costing millions, if not billions, of dollars. And so that's what prompted this article to be revived because that ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal meant that, hey, we should have more than one canal just in case this happens again. Now, I'm wondering if that ship wasn't sabotaged in order to just promote this Jewish plan. But let's continue. The U.S. considered a proposal to use 520 nuclear bombs to carve out an alternative to the Suez Canal through Israel in the 1960s, according to a declassified memorandum. The plan never came to fruition, but having an alternative waterway to the Suez Canal could have been useful in March 2021, when a cargo ship stuck in the narrow path was blocking one of the world's most vital shipping routes. According to the 1963 memorandum, which was declassified in 1996, the plan would have relied on 520 nuclear bombs to carve out the waterway. The memo called for the use of nuclear explosives for excavation of the Dead Sea Canal across the Negev Desert. The historian Alex Wellerstein called the plan, quote, a modest proposal, (laughs) a modest proposal of 520 modest nuclear bombs for the Suez Canal situation, unquote, on Twitter on March 24th, 2021. The memorandum was from the U.S. Department of Energy, backed, oh, energy-backed Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. It suggested that an interesting application of nuclear excavation would be a sea-level canal 160 miles long across Israel. Conventional methods of excavation would be prohibitively expensive, the memo said. It appears that nuclear explosives could be profitably applied to this situation. How about employing uh, a billion Arabs? <laughs> they, they could use employ- Or how about employing Jews? They should be put to work for once. The memo added that such a canal would be a strategically valuable alternative to the present Suez Canal and would probably contribute greatly to economic development. Well, yeah, it would create a lot of jobs, but what about the nuclear fallout? As part of the pricing model, the memorandum estimated that four two-megaton devices would be needed for every mile, oh no, which Wellerstein calculated as meaning 520 nukes, or 1.4 gigatons of explosives. One possible route the memorandum proposed stretched across the Negev Desert in Israel, connecting the Mediterranean to the Gulf of Aqaba, opening access to the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean. The laboratory noted that there were 130 miles of virtually unpopulated desert wasteland and are thus amenable to nuclear excavation methods. Of course, that's never stopped the Jews from doing anything. Doesn't matter if there's, you know, that's why they're killing all those Palestinians in Gaza right now. 
because they want to clear a path right through the heart of Gaza for this canal. The crude preliminary investigation suggested that using bombs to create a canal through Israel appears to be within the range of technological feasibility, the memo said. But the memo conceived that one problem which the authors had not taken into consideration might be politically political feasibility, as it is likely that the Arab countries surrounding Israel would strongly object to the construction of such a canal. The memo came, in, and of course the nuclear fallout uh, among the Arabs, yeah, right? The memo came as the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission was investigating using peaceful nuclear explosions to dig out useful infrastructure, Forbes reported in 2018. There were also plans to use this method to dig out a canal in Central America, Forbes reported. But the PNE project remained experimental after the U.S. found that 27 experiments with PNEs heavily irradiated the landscape. The Atomic Energy Commission was also abolished in 1974. Meanwhile, the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory still exists. According to its website, it is dedicated to, quote, ensuring the safety, security, and reliability of the nation's nuclear deterrent, unquote, Sure it is. Sure it is. Now we find out from this other article that this was already a pet product of David Ben-Gurion, the very first so-called president of Judea, modern Judea. Remember, that was the, that was the planned name of the Israeli state, until the day before its actual inauguration, they were going to call it Judea. And at the very last minute, David Ben-Gurion had this bright idea. Oh, no, let's call it Israel. The better to fool the Goyim with, to make them believe that we are Israel. Of course, our people will believe anything if a Jew says it. So this is from Wikipedia. Ben-Gurion Canal Project. The Ben-Gurion Canal Project, or Israel Canal, is a proposed canal project through the state of Israel. It would connect the Gulf of Aqaba to the Mediterranean Sea. David Ben-Gurion, for whom it would be named, is considered the founding father of Israel and was the first prime minister of Israel. The canal would rival the Suez Canal, which runs through Egypt and has many disturbances in its history, such as the Israeli blockage through the Suez Canal and Straits of Tehran, closure of the Suez Canal 1956-1957, another closure 1967-1975. Oh, I guess that was called, maybe that was caused by the attack on the Liberty, because that was in 1967. And the 2021 Suez Canal obstruction. Maybe the Jews were planning on using nukes, and they used they tried to sink the Liberty and blame the sinking on the Arab nations. I will bet you. I will bet you a shekel, <laughs> a shekel and a half. 
because they were planning on using nukes on Egypt and Libya, etc. They were planning on blaming the sinking of the liberty on the Arab countries and then making war against these Arab countries with the U.S. in tow, supposedly being angry at these Arab countries for sinking the liberty. But Yahweh had other plans. He made sure that that ship with the three or four hundred holes it had in it would not sink and that the story of the liberty would become eventually common knowledge. It is to those of us in the patriotic community that it was the Jews who tried to sink the liberty, not Arabs. But I can see that that could be a cover story. You could have nukes exploding on the coast of the Mediterranean and simultaneously these 520 nukes being detonated for the proposed canal, which would go right through Gaza. Okay. Continuing here, and the 2021 Suez Canal obstruction, which is that ship that got lodged in the canal. It would be almost one-third longer than the 120.1 miles of the Suez Canal at around 182 miles. The route, starting from the southern end at the Gulf of Aqaba by the port city of Eilat in Israel, Israel, on the Israeli and Jordanian border through the Araba Valley or for about 100 kilometers between the Negev Mountains and the Jordanian Highlands and veers west before the Dead Sea Basin and the Dead Sea, which is 430.5 meters below sea level. Well, they can use the Dead Dead Sea because it's already below sea level and heads through the valley in the Negev mountain range, then heads north again to get around the Gaza Strip and link up with the Mediterranean Sea. I could see the Dead Sea being turned into a, a spa as the water of the Mediterranean Ocean runs into it and fills it up. But I'm looking at the map, and I don't see that the canal goes, I guess the Dead Sea is not that far north. Apparently, the river basin continues south of the Dead Sea, but there's really no water flowing through it at the moment. Okay, let's continue. Starting from the southern end at the Gulf of Aqaba, which is the northern end of the Gulf of Aqaba, by the port city of Eilat in Israel, on the Israeli and Jordanian border, through the Araba Valley, etc., and brushing south of the Dead Sea, and heads through a valley in the Negev mountain range, then heads north again to get around the Gaza Strip and link up with the Mediterranean Sea. Now, do you think they're really going to avoid Gaza? I don't think so. It's a shorter route to go right through it, but let's continue. And they got several uh, satellite photographs of the area. 1963 U.S. Feasibility Study. 
in July 1963, H.D. McCabe, or McCabe, M-A-C-C-A-B-E-E, McCabe, of the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory under contract to the United States Department of Energy, wrote a memorandum that explored the possibility of using 520 buried nuclear explosions to help excavate a canal through the hills in the Negev Desert. The document was classified until 1993. The Suez Canal set a new record with annual revenue of U.S. $9.4 billion for the, first, for the fiscal year that ended June 30, 2023. So that's a real moneymaker, is it not? A real moneymaker. And since a lot of this traffic would be diverted through Israel, the Jews stand to gain tremendously from such a project. And here's an article about, okay, the... uh, uh, (laughs) High-speed railway list of places on land with elevations below sea level. So they have this all planned out. But let's go to the Red Sea, Dead Sea Water Conveyance. The Red Sea, Dead Sea Water Conveyance. Now, if they go that route, which would be straight north towards Jordan along the the river, I guess it would be the Jordan River south of the Dead Sea. I don't believe there's any water running through it. I think it's just a dry gulch. That uh, according to this map here, the planned Red Sea slash Dead Sea Canal shown in red Okay, that would be running parallel to what I see has to be a dry gulch. But actually looking at this map, it's a longer distance because it goes further north and would cross into the West Bank, not Gaza. Either way, it would disrupt the lives of Palestinians in one of those two areas. Anyway, shown in red would have lied, or lay actually is the uh, correct terminology, would lay entirely in Jordan and would have been implemented by Jordan. But I wonder if the Jordanians would (laughs) be agreeable to such a plan. I highly doubt it unless they are given a really high percentage chunk of the action Once this canal is actually in operation, that's a good question. Anyway, the Red Sea Dead Sea Conveyance, RSDSC, sometimes called the Two Seas Canal, was a planned pipeline to run from the coastal city of Aqaba by the Red Sea to the Lisan area in the Dead Sea. Its abandonment was reported in June 2021. Wow, so they were trying to construct this as late as June 2021. It was to provide potable water to Jordan, Israel, and the Palestinian territories, 
bringing water with a high concentration of salts resulting from the desalination process, reject brine, to establish the Dead Sea water level and generate electricity to support the energy needs of the project. The project was planned to be carried out by Jordan and is entirely in Jordanian territory. It was to be financed by the governments of Jordan, Israel, and a number of international donors, probably the Rothschilds. The project had a tentative $10 billion price tag, with the first phase slated to begin construction in 2021, costing $1.1 billion. The water level in the Dead Sea is shrinking at a rate of more than one meter per year, and its surface area has shrunk by about 33% since the 1960s. This is largely due to the diversion of most of the flow into the Dead Sea from the Jordan River, much of which originates in the Sea of Galilee. The completion of the National Water Carrier Scheme in 1964 diverted water for Israel, Jordan, and Syria to use for irrigation and drinking water. Very precious little of that gets to the Palestinians living in Gaza. The decline of the Dead Sea level is causing major local environmental problems, including sinkholes and receding shorelines. Other routes for a conduit for the same objectives as this Red Sea Dead Sea conveyance, including the Mediterranean Dead Sea Canal, were proposed in Israel in the 1980s, but were discarded. I think it's quite probable now that the Jews need this need this canal desperately to prop up their failing state. And so they have begun this project. And this is the real reason for attacking Gaza, folks. Because I had speculated, there's no, I don't see any good reason, no good military objective of killing all of these Palestinians in Gaza just for another, you know, war of extermination. No, they. in fact, I've been reading stories that they plan on evacuating these Palestinians and other people who are living there because there's only one way in or out. That's the northern end of the Gaza Strip. And the Israelis have bombed that, killing a lot of tourists and relatives, visiting friends and relatives in Gaza, and uh, killing some reporters as well. So the Jews don't care who they kill. And so this is the name of the game here, folks. This is the name of the game. Who do you kill? Who do you have to kill to gain this objective? History of this project. The connection of the seas by canal was first suggested in the mid-19th century by British officers who were looking for ways to circumvent the French-built Suez Canal and had not realized that the level of the Dead Sea is much lower. Later on, at the end of the 19th century, planners thought of ways to use water from the Jordan River, which originates in the Sea of Galilee, for irrigation and to bring seawater to the Dead Sea to create energy from its position of 390 meters below sea level. 
that's really far. <laughs> One of those planners was the Zionist leader, Theodore Herzl. The completion of the National Water Carrier Scheme in 1964 diverted water for Israel, Jordan, and Syria to use for irrigation and drinking water. The Red Sea Dead Sea Conduit was proposed at the end of the 1960s and was analyzed as part of the peace process between Israel and Jordan. Now it was a, it was a, a process of exploiting the land, right? I'll bet there's other stuff. Oh, oh, I just recalled. A friend of mine here at Harrison told me that they have discovered oil off the coast of Gaza and rather than go to the expense of drilling sideways, which uh, their technology is available to do that, north of Gaza, because Israel owns that territory, it's much simpler and easier to drill straight down to get at this oil. But, it, you know, but they don't care how many people they kill for cheap bucks, for cheap oil. So that's another aspect of this that is not being discussed in ma mainstream media, folks. So you heard it here first on Eurofolk Radio that the real reason for this fiasco, which is killing hundreds if not thousands of innocent people in Gaza and to some extent on the West Bank, is this proposed canal and the oil profits that the Israelis foreseal, foresee from this project. Okay. Now, interestingly, any oil drilled at that point could be shipped to the east through this canal directly. And I would bet that this canal would be much wider than the Suez Canal so as to be able to transport bigger and bigger ships. Are you beginning to see the picture here, folks? You're not going to hear about this on mainstream Jews news. You're not going to be hearing it from them. All right, so let's continue here. This is very interesting. On 9 May 2005, Jordan, Israel, and the Palestinian Authority signed an agreement to go ahead with a feasibility study for this RSDSC. The agreement was signed on the Dead Sea by Jordanian Water Minister Raid Abu Saud, Israeli Infrastructure Minister Benjamin Ben Eliezer, and Palestinian Planning Minister Ghassan al Khatib. In June 2009, after a meeting with World Bank President Robert Zellick, gotta be a Jew, World Bank is run by Jews. The Israeli Regional Cooperation Minister Silvan Shalom announced a pilot project to build a pilot pipe 180 kilometers long from the Red Sea to the Dead Sea. The pipe would pump 200 million cubic meters per year. Half of this would be desalinated from, for Jordanian consumption and half put into the Dead Sea. Well, if you pour that into the Dead Sea... It would be even saltier. <laughs> but at least, I mean, just considering the, the possibilities here, that the 
the, that lake, the Dead Sea, would naturally fill up 390 meters high. It would have to fill up that high. So a lot of these cities that are at the border of the Dead Sea would go under. They would go under. And you, you never know how this is going to affect the, the territory around there. The natural world around there might be very, very disastrous. But they're not going to use nukes, I don't think. That might set off earthquakes, folks. <laughs> that might set off earthquakes. All right, let's continue. So, all these three officials had signed this agreement in the 1990s. That what they call the stabilization of the Dead Sea water level, quote-unquote, saving the Dead Sea, as a major objective of the project. It suggested the building of the project in stages in order to test the mixing of the two seas, water phasing, the big investment associated with the project. The project was called the Peace Conduit and was proposed to be located on Jordanian territory for financial and implementation reasons. Yeah, the Jordanians wanted a cut. Otherwise, they would not agree to have it on their territory. On 9 May 2005, Jordan, Israel, and the Palestinian Authority signed an agreement to go ahead with the feasibility study for this canal. The agreement was signed on the Dead Sea by... Oh, sorry, I read that already. And the World Bank President Robert Zellick had a meeting. The Israeli Regional Cooperation Minister, Sylvain Shalom, etc., and it was, would, the pipe would pump 200 million cubic meters per year. In October 2009, the Jordanian government announced that it would unilaterally tender a Jordan Red Sea project. That's interesting. According to the government, this project could be considered as the first phase of the RSDC project. The Jordan project was to be implemented by a private company under authority granted by the government. The project would also serve as an economic development project to create housing for 1.36 million people south of Amman at the southern end of the Dead Sea, north of Aqaba, and in gated communities. So if the country of Jordan underwrites this project, they stand to gain a lot of, you know, a lot of money from this. Okay, so I'm wondering if the Israelis are trying to you know, preempt this plan. I, I can't imagine how the, the Dead Sea would be affected. A 390-meter rise in water level would really affect the territory around it. So I guess the, the planned pipeline would test how badly it would affect the area because it's not fresh water. It's not fresh water, so it's just more salt water. But it wouldn't be as intensely salty as it is now because that water just evaporates. It goes nowhere except into the atmosphere, okay? So, between these two projects, the proposed canal, again, was proposed way back in the 1960s, 
and it was a pipe dream of David Ben-Gurion in the first place from the get-go. And uh, the proposed oil revenues off the Gulf of Gaza, off the coast of Gaza, we can see the wheels turning in the Jewish mind. <laughs> the wheels turning in the Jewish mind, and I don't see any other good reason for the depopulation of Gaza other than this plan. So we'll, we'll see. Keep your eyes open to see if the mainstream media at all addresses this issue. I doubt that they will. You know, they had to create Hamas to be the their, their pet boogeyman to start conflicts in the Middle East to justify Israeli attacks on innocent Palestinian civilians. That's the reason the Jews created Hamas, etc. So this is just more of the same, folks. It's just fake news coming from the Israelis. And you get a dribble and drabble of the truth coming out from these stories which seem to be unrelated, but which now reveal the true purpose of the conflict in Gaza and why the Jews are trying to exterminate the Palestinians. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. The Edomites will demand their pound of flesh. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.